Sports Social with Ed Easton Jr. We are back here on Brooklyn Free Speech Radio, iHeartRadio, as well as Spotify. And today's episode, well, how can I explain today's episode? It's more of a a refresher. It's more of a flashback. It's more of a how did we get here type of show. I'm, I'm trying to find every different way to describe it outside of just saying what it exactly is. And that is a clip show. And a clip show, for those that have been living under a rock their entire lives, whether it's radio, whether it's TV, it's sort of like a best of compilation of uh, different things from any type of series. And since this is technically episode 99 and we're approaching the big 100th episode, I just thought this would be the perfect time for those new listeners that decided not to go through the each episode and look for certain interviews I decided this is the best time to play some of my favorite interviews from the first 100 episodes. So just anybody can have their opinions on it. I just think these are great. I love all my interviews and I just thought that these are kind of a refresher for those that may have missed it or maybe wanted to hear it again. And uh, it's it's pretty much fun for me. I enjoy it. I enjoy going down memory lane and seeing if this was a good question or maybe I should have asked that. You know, just different things of that nature. But uh, trust me, there will be new content following this episode. But this is that also important clip show that we all need. We all need that once in a while. And without further ado, I'm going to jump right into them. I hope you guys enjoy it. Let me know what you think. At Ed Easton Jr. on Twitter, Instagram, uh, sportssocialpod.com. Leave a message. It's been a fun week with the... Uh... The uh, silver anniversary is stirring up a lot of uh, uh, media press and uh, memories from a lot of people. So happy to talk to you. Oh, definitely, man. I've been, you know, wanting to get you on the show for a while now. Um, I, you know, I have to obviously start from the beginning just to, you know, introduce everything. But um, how did you get started in uh, video game voiceover work? Well, was it really a, a bit of luck on my end? I was uh, at Second City and wanted to make the big time and go to Saturday Night Live, came out here to Chicago. And in the meantime, uh, took a variety of different jobs, waitering jobs, et cetera, and uh, had always loved playing the drums and was in little bands in high school and tried to keep it going afterwards. And so I decided at least I would play on the weekend and met a few guys uh, that turned out they worked at the uh, Williams Pinball uh, Company here in Chicago, where Midway Games was also part of that. It was Williams, Valley, and Midway. And they were, uh, after couple of months playing together uh they said hey you know what we're doing a new pinball game it's uh the gilligan's island and we need someone to do mr howell so i uh they said can you do mr howell and i was like well gilligan maybe we could bribe kuna and he said well why don't you come in on monday and uh started out from there and uh it just kept going and going to uh attack from mars and twilight zone and popeye and twilight zone and i think 15 titles later i was uh kind of entrenched as the the voice of uh, uh, pinball and Williams games. Wow. And um, what year was that? Did you get started with that? Well, that was probably 89, uh, 88. And uh, at that point, uh, just prior to 93, uh, John Hay, who wrote the music and did the script and was the producer for NBA Jam, said I was talking with Mark Jamel and uh, they're across the street in the Midway Games uh building you said they're they're working on a new nba basketball game and want to know if you'll uh uh if you want to be part of that i was like 
you know, Santa Claus come and saying, uh, you want a, you want a new Corvette? <laughs> yeah, I think I do want to be part of the NBA Jam thing, whatever that is. Great. And uh, how was the uh, just the the immediate jump into it? Like, was it a uh, automatically a uh, popular uh, game right right when it came out back in '93? Oh yeah, right right from the get go, it was uh, all the arcades. It was uh, it was you know jammed, you know NBA Jam perfect, jammed with people, you know, and often like literally five, 10 deep with quarters on the machine, like a, you know, like a, a pool, you know, kind of thing of everybody like I got next, I got next and people yelling, hooting and hollering. That was the real fun is that I could go out and see my pinball games and check out my voice on all these really cool pinball games, but you'd never have a crowd around a pinball game. Uh, but this, you know, you had people really like high fiving each other, taunting each other, trash talking each other. And when, you know, guys would take off with the crazy somersault dunks, you know, you just heard people, you know, going crazy and it drew a crowd, you know, the, the crowd around the uh, cabinet drew a crowd. So I knew, I knew it was something, you know, special right away. I hear that. And now there's like a bunch of sayings on the, that you, um that you say during the game, but a uh, boom shakalaka, that's the one yeah. everyone, you know, associates automatically with NBA jam. Where did that come from? Was that like, was that all you or did that come from something else? Well, the cool thing was that uh, the script, John Hay wrote the script, but we would often just, you know, come up with some of our own lines when we were there and improvise. And uh, and the office was very close where the sound booth was, and guys had these little offices, and one guy, John Carlton, sticks his head out the door, and he was listening to uh, Sly and the Family Stone, that song, I Want to Take You Higher, in which Sly uh, in the chorus goes, he doesn't say boom shakalaka, he goes boo shakalaka laka, boo shakalaka. And he thought that was kind of a cool, cool phrase. He goes, tell him to say boom shakalaka. He mistook it. He thought he was saying boom shakalaka. So think of that. It was just a complete accident and kind of coincidence. He's listening to Sly. He mishears a lyric. And uh, John says, say boom shakalaka. And I remember saying to John, like, boom shakalaka? What's that? He goes, just say it. So boom shakalaka. And he goes, yep, that's it. I just stumbled, stumbled onto it. It's like finding a finding a diamond in the bottom of a garbage heap. You know, you just you don't know what it is, and and you can't believe that, you know, it's it's going to be that valuable, and then you realize it's a diamond, and we we got the diamond, and since that moment, I mean, you can look Wikipedia and other stuff, and you know, boom shakalaka might have been like a phrase in a I think a Caribbean song uh, way back in the 50s or something. Mm. So the word I think actually had been out there, and maybe that's where Sly heard boom shakalaka and he turned it to boo shakalaka. At any rate, it wasn't known in the you know certainly in the sports culture or the American vernacular uh, until it was in NBA Jam. So it's pretty cool to kind of be responsible for a a phrase that's uh, you know been around for you know a couple gener for a full generation now. Definitely, definitely. Um, now, honestly, just recently you just celebrated the uh, 25th anniversary of NBA Jam at an L.A. Clippers game. How was that yeah. whole process? Well, I've been uh, busy the last few years realizing that uh, EA Sports has the, the holds the title right now for NBA Jam, but they've been very lackadaisical about doing updates and doing a full-on reboot. The last one we did was 2011, the On Fire edition, which, by the way, 2010, 2011, if anyone hasn't played those versions, they're awesome. Uh, if you like the stuff that I do, I have probably, you know, 500 lines in it as opposed to, you know, maybe 30 lines in the original. Uh, so 
I've been calling NBA teams the last few years thinking, hey, this is a chance for me to go beyond the video games and start to do highlights for NBA teams doing my NBA Jam style announcing. So the first guys that uh, got in touch with me were the Houston Rockets, uh, Jim Odessa, and I went down there and did a highlight video for them. They send me highlights, I, I record them, and then they do the graphics. And that particular video won the uh, best in sports game presentation video for all four major league sports. So everything you've ever seen on a jumbotron for a year, baseball, basketball, football, you know, hockey, it was voted the best video. And then Joe Lagaz from the Clippers, the head of marketing was there. And I had put a call into uh, to his office at one point. So he said, yeah, I saw that video. It's great. He goes, let's do something. That was last year. And I said, Joe, you know, it's the 25th anniversary. He's like, oh, that's even better. You know, we can do something really special. So uh, we kind of got on the phone uh, half a dozen times during the year and came up with some ideas. And I did a highlight video for them and then came out, acted as MC, introduced the game with Mark Tremel, the creator, who now lives in uh, San Diego. He's now the creative uh, senior creative director for Zynga Games for all those Facebook games and now the download uh, Zynga uh, brand. So uh, it was just great to be recognized and to see how many fans, you know, are still so excited about the game. Uh, the players were put up on the Jumbotron to uh, tell their favorite uh, uh, duos, NBA Jam duos, when they were kids playing NBA Jam, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, all these little, you know, kids, you know, 12, 13 years old, we're like, hey, can you say boom, shot clock, sign this, sign that? It's like, so there's a whole new younger generation that's actually just learned it from either their dad's games, uh, the old school stuff, or they have it, the new downloadable, you know, on their phone uh, and the EA version, which was uh, Wii, Xbox, and PS4. So there's a new fan base, and, and it was great fun being out there. I definitely hear that. Now, you just mentioned, like, the uh, players were on the uh, big screen basically saying their, their best moments from the game. Uh, yeah. How do players react to meeting you and then actually hearing your voice and, you know, relating it to the game? Like, are there any interesting stories behind that? Well, uh, the new generation, uh, like Steph Curry, there was a, a promo video for EA Sports uh, on Fire Edition, which had him, uh, or the 2010 edition, just when he came in the league, uh, with Kevin Durant and some other players out at uh, EA Sports playing the game, and they were just having a blast, you know, just loving it, laughing, cracking up. Uh, Curry's done a – there's a YouTube video where he is asked uh, to do the NBA Jam brackets of current players. They picked current duos that they thought would be an NBA Jam, and he uh, had to explain why he and Clay would be the best duo. So it's fun to see the new generations, you know, really into it. Uh, some of the old schoolers, like I was on uh, uh, Fox pregame uh, interview on court, and Corey McGetty was next to me. He goes, you know, when I was younger, I was 15, I loved the game so much. He goes, my parents actually bought me an entire NBA Jam arcade, <laughs> and I had it at my house. So he he was, uh, you know, just a big, huge fan. And, and my biggest story about just the, the irony of me being basically a nobody, you wouldn't know because my, it's my voice, it's not – you know, people don't recognize me uh, 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 from my face, but uh, Steve Smith uh, met him at a restaurant and someone told him I was the NBA Jam guy. And I'm going over to just see him and go, wow, yeah, I'm so happy to meet you. You're you know, I was a big fan of yours. Loved watching you play Michael Jordan. And he comes up to me and he says, hey, man, you're the NBA Jam guy. I can't believe I'm meeting you. I can't wait till I tell my kids that I met you. He goes, we were just playing it yesterday at the house. I said, you were? He goes, yeah, I'm the arcade. I go, like the, the Super Nintendo, and he goes, dude, the full-on arcade, I have one in my house. I said, how'd you get one of those? He said, well, they gave 
an arcade to everyone who was in NBA Jam. That was our payment. <laughs> and he goes, I love the game. I love, uh, you know, my kids love it. So uh, Gary Payton, I met him this last summer, and he was uh, the guy who was not in the original game. Uh, but he and Michael Jordan wanted to be in the game, so they called Midway. And uh, I had to come back in and record their names. And we did a special one-off uh, NBA Jam for Michael Jordan and Gary Payton and Ken Griffey, because Ken Griffey and Payton were friends. So he was telling me just how much fun it is uh, to, to be in that game. And he goes, I've got the arcade, all three arcade cabinets. He goes, in my house in Seattle right now, if you ever want to come out and play. He goes, my kids love it. He goes, we keep them in great shape because – because uh, they're going to be worth some serious money. They're you know the only ones that exist in the world with uh, those those guys in it. Wow, that is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Tim, now I actually have a new game coming out. Uh, what do you expect from uh, your new game, Mutant Football League? Welcome to Mutant Football League. Uh, Mutant Football League is is a dream come true because uh, NFL Blitz, of course, was one of my favorite titles. Uh, but a few years ago when we did it, redid it with EA Sports, the NFL had uh, watered things down. They were uh, very much involved in the process, didn't want any of those crazy late hits, the more violent stuff that NFL Blitz was known for. So the game, I think, was really good, the one we did for EA Sports. And, you know, look for that one uh, uh, out at the uh, used used uh, game store. But this one allows us to go crazy because there's no NFL license. It's the MFL. It's mutants. It's orcs. It's skeletons. It's robots. And it's just a ton of fun based on that really fast, crazy arcade style over the top. Uh, We've got artists from Marvel Comics creating some of the most beautiful, stunning visuals you'll ever see. We've got buzz saws that crisscross the field. There's lava flows, mine hazards, all these things you have to negotiate while you're on the field. Like you can catch a pass and then run through a buzzsaw. It's like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Get cut in half when you're on the way to getting a touchdown. You've got dirty tricks where you can use a bomb uh, to to kill your opponent. You have a a shotgun that you can pull out. So when the quarterback is in the shotgun formation, takes on a whole new meeting, he can actually pull out a shotgun and shoot the guy coming at him so he doesn't get sacked. Uh, It's, it plays great. Uh, the fan uh, feedback has been great so far. It already won a couple awards, different gaming websites. Uh, Shaq News uh, gave it the best new sports title of the year. And it drops this Friday uh, for PS4 and Xbox. So uh, I, I couldn't be more excited to, once again to return to my roots, which is arcade, which is comical, humorous, over the top. And uh, got to write the whole script, record the voices. Uh, and did a little bit more uh, old school garage style because this isn't a thirty million dollar budget from one of the big you know teams. This is a mm-hmm. this is a grassroots uh, digital dreams company, uh, which the creator Michael Mendheim, uh, he's the creator of the original game. So this is kind of a uh, you know a, a, an homage to the mutant football league, uh, not um, you know mutant league football, which came out in '93, which EA Sports had. Uh, back at that uh, time, there was also a Saturday morning cartoon show. So if you look at Mutant League football on YouTube, you can see that they had collectibles, they had trading cards. So it really has a, a powerful uh, a fan base of hardcore uh, uh, mutant uh, lovers. So, uh, yeah, real excited about that. And once again, to in this day and age, be doing arcade style stuff, which is my forte. I'm, I'm not a sim guy. Uh, it's It's real exciting. I definitely hit on. We're looking forward to the game. Now, yeah. 
obviously there's still when it, when it comes to like just NBA Jam, um, there's still tournaments being done all around the country. I mean, yeah. like every other week you see like the and this is from like the original version, not even the even the latest versions, but oh yeah, because of the popularity and it's you know twenty twenty five year anniversary. Is there a new edition expected in the near future that uh, you know of that you guys maybe possibly are working on? Well, I, what I can say is that um, I've had conversations with uh, several different parties that want to resurrect it in one form or another. Um, uh, it's just it's it's tricky because uh, there there were some rumors already that came out that weren't true about who was going to do it, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I can tell you that uh, uh, there's a lot of um, a lot of stuff being done behind the scenes, and we hope to have uh, you know be able to announce something. Uh, uh, positively uh in you know very shortly and and it's all key because we we think it's real important to get it done for the 25th anniversary if not it's still fine you know there's always plenty of room for jam it just makes it a little extra special like having the you know star wars anniversary when you're a franchise and you hit 25 there's that extra charge and people want collectibles they you know they they want uh they want part of that nostalgia to hold on to and certainly would drive sales to be uh during this year but there's also a major arcade uh, uh, machine maker that uh, has spoken to me and they want to bring back the retro arcade cabinet with the actual original retro game uh, because arcades have come back in a big way, as I'm sure you know, all around the country, arcades are popping up everywhere. Some of them, you know, you play for free. Some are you pay for, you know, a a day. You know, uh, there's a place, uh, Ghost Arcade here in Chicago, the largest, I think, in the country. Uh, I think it's 10 or $15 you can play for as long as you like. But uh, the resurgence and, and popularity of arcades with classic uh, video games and pinball uh, games is really popping up. So this would be a great move to bring back the cabinet because I think NBA Jam, as I said in the beginning about all the people gathering around it and you mentioning how people are doing tournaments, it's really the kind of game that you can't get that experience anymore sitting on your couch. Uh, with a headset on, you know, it's to be played with friends and with people watching and having high fives and going crazy. So I, I'm really hoping that that works out. That would be great to see. No, I definitely agree. It's nice to see here talk about social aspects where people are actually playing next to each yep. other instead of online. That's a seems yep. to be a lost art at times. Yeah. Well, it's kind of but, like uh, the um, uh, kind of like the way music went. You know, going to all digital. Uh, and you've got this little tiny, you know, uh, your phone or whatever with a title on it. And back in the day, you had an album, you know, and, and you could look at it, see it, go over to a friend's house. And the experience of listening to music wasn't just throwing earbuds in and, and removing yourself from society and socializing with friends. It was part of what brought you together. And suddenly the vinyl and LPs and turntables are back and it's cool and it's hip. And, and it's the same thing for a new generation of gamers. They grew up you know the, the recent ones you know the younger kids of just you know putting on the headset and in in the bedroom and playing someone in japan or whatever and they haven't had that fun of the social experience of playing the game so i think for them to get a taste of oh this is what game playing was like that's this is what retro games are all about classic nostalgic arcade uh titles uh so it's really fun to see the kids you know find this you know, this thing that was all the rage. I mean, think of the 90s. I mean, that's how, how you know, folks got together. They went out to the arcades. They went to you know, bars and got around the, the machines, and they didn't sit in the house and do it. So it's really exciting to know that there's something powerful about the, the actual, you know, big cabinets and the fun of the lights and the sound and, 
and something you can touch and feel and grab this, you know, big joystick as opposed to, you know, downloadable games and phone app games, et cetera. I definitely agree. Uh, Tim, do you have any social media links that you want to share with anybody to yeah, I'm at, uh, follow uh, you? And... Tim, yeah, I'm at Tim underscore Kitzrow, and that's my Twitter handle. And I've got a, a website that has all the videos, all the press, uh, the videos I've done for, uh, for the Golden State Warriors, the Rockets, et cetera, and ESPN, and that's at uh, timkitzrow.com, timkitzrow.com. Or you can go to mrboomshakalaka.com, easy to remember. So mrboomshakalaka.com. Sounds good. Tim, thank you for taking the time to do the interview with me. And also on a personal note, for being a reason why I lost a lot of quarters growing up. So. <laughs> well, I, I, get, I, I always get that from people, and I go, well, those were, those were some quarters well spent. And people tell me about rifling through their dad's pants pockets and you know, <laughs> under the couch and the change in the car. And, like, they see a quarter, and your, your connection with a quarter back then was more NBA jam. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome, hey, man. Well, thank you for calling. I appreciate it. Definitely, man. Take care. All right, Ed. So long. Just, Max, what are your thoughts on today's centers in the NBA? Do you feel like the game has evolved with them or, oh, like, you're a fan of it? I mean, yeah, you got guys now, you know, stepping outside where that wasn't a normal thing. I mean, you got a lot of guys that play like a Kim Olajuwon used to play. Where he step outside. Kim really didn't shoot threes. But you have a lot of guys that have that same skill set with the NBA, the Cousins, uh, you talk about Towns. I mean, you go down the list on those guys. Like they're super athletic, playing with guard handles. Whereas guys, I came up, we didn't really have dribbling coaches that worked without dribbling and, and developed those skills. But now they're doing it so young. Now as they grow, they're able to continue to keep those skills, skill levels. Yeah. Is there any uh, center today that reminds you of yourself a little bit uh, um, defensively, such a you know a great uh, rim protector? I would say, um, what, what's my man name in, in Houston? It, it reminds me definitely of a, a young man. Oh, Capella? Uh, Capella. Yeah. Capella. Yeah. Um, he's definitely changing the game for Houston. Mm -hmm. you know, with those scores, you know, at the guard spot and two yeah. threes, he's definitely dominating on the inside in the middle and got that pick and roll thing down packed with, with, with Harden and now you got Chris Paul over there so his numbers are way up and he's looking like an all-star to me for real. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of all-star, as you were an all-star mm -hmm. and uh, you played with Allen Iverson, yes. was there any like a memorable moment um, while playing with him that you want to like just talk about? Oh man, it was, it was, it was so, so many with that guy, man. You're talking about the heart of a lion, I mean the true heart of a lion. We were never out the game. I mean, we always knew he could get hot at any minute and run 25 off on, you know, anybody. Um, but, you know, you talk about a guy with the determination and the drive um, that he played with, you know, that he practiced with. You know, a lot of people talk about his practice stuff, but, you know, when Allen practiced, Allen practiced like he played. You know, all he needed was a little challenge. Took <laughs> East Snow or Aaron McKee or somebody to say something crazy to him. And he'd be out there like, you know, just like he's playing the game. And, and his true words is, 
um, you never know what the next day uh, have promise. Right. And you go play every game like a, like his life. He was truly the guy that epitomized that. He did that every time he stepped out on the floor, and, and that's what I remember and loved about him most of being his team. Yeah. Um, now this whole project, Theo the Hero. Yes. What made you uh, want to go through a project like this? Well, through one of my publishers, um, Michael Harris, who you know I, I was with when I was in, in, with Philly. Um, he's he's did a series of, of, of kid kids books, and we decided that you know my story needed to be you know kind of told, yeah. but we wanted to do it in a kid kid friendly place to address literacy and also a big topic, which is anti-bullying. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I had went through that, you know, at such a young age mm -hmm. um, and recognizing that these young kids need to have a solution, you know what I mean, where they don't feel like it's, uh, you know, they just alone. You know, it happens to big guys too, <laughs> so to speak. So. So everybody has something that, you know, somebody talks about or, 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 or jobs about in certain ways. It's a matter of how much it happens and how often it happens to where it becomes the bullying part. So, so having that opportunity to put that together and me having kids, young kids, um, it was just definitely a big topic um, just around the country and it's still a big topic around the country. Um, being able to, to put this together. I mean, think we did the book like five years ago, but now I'm just getting a, a chance to really get a real program behind it. You know, it's always been a part of my foundation and what I talked about and what I spoke about. And now I'm really creating a platform for kids to actually do and address the issue. Because I, what I did do was want to just come to a school or, or, or lead a book somewhere and the kids read it for that moment and then everything goes away. Having an actual curriculum, it becomes a mainstay with the group and that, that's the purpose of it. Yeah. Uh, for, during the tour, have you met anybody, uh, any of the kids that uh, reminded you of yourself a little bit? Like, well, this, I, this is actually my first stop. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is my first stop. So this is our first program. This is, this is our first stop. Um, on the tour, we wanted to, one, so because this is the first one, we wanted to kind of do this today and understand the dynamics, where it can be better, how we can improve in different things here, and then kind of, you know, just let it grow organic. Nice, nice. Yeah. And one more thing. At the end of the day, what is the ultimate goal of the project? The ultimate goal is, is, is what you see, man. Being able to get kids in their environment to talk about a serious, serious subject, um, which is bullying, which is, 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 is prevalent around the country. And then creating these young kids to be the ambassadors to fight against it. Right. And uh, if you're young and you start fighting against the young, mm -hmm. that means you carry the torch every year. And like I said, with eighth graders, they have a whole crew of kids that look up to them. Right. If you're saying the right message, those kids gonna get the right message. And as they grow, it becomes the same thing. And now it becomes a movement right. instead of just a one-on-one -on -one thing. Right. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. I'm Paul George. When I was six, I had one thing on my mind. When I was six, my days were spent playing basketball every chance I could. When I was six, my dream was to make it to the NBA. When I was six, my mom had a stroke.
So I want you to learn the signs of a stroke fast. F-A-S-T. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. Because the sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in their recovery. I'm Paul George. Protect the ones you love. Spot a stroke F-A-S-T. Fast. Life is why. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Hey, how you doing? This is Al Harrington. Hey, y'all. How's it going? This is Ed Easton Jr. I'm good, man. How are you? Uh, thanks for taking the time to uh, talk about the upcoming uh, Champions Basketball League. Uh, can you uh, just uh, give me like a, a breakdown of uh, what brought you to want to join the uh, CBL? Uh, well, I mean, now I think it's been over a year when I first was uh, introduced to this opportunity. Um, obviously, I wanted to just do it just because I felt like I could still play. You know what I'm saying? I felt like it was a platform that allowed guys that felt like they still had something left in the tank to find out if they did. And, uh, you know, the fact that I think everyone is taking it pretty serious and getting their bodies prepared and being ready for this moment or for these games, I think it should be a pretty solid product. I I definitely hear that. And now you're actually going to be with a – it's pretty much full of uh, former NBA players. And who's set up for it? What um, what else drew you? Because I see Mark Aguirre is the president of it. Um, when you guys were uh, putting this whole thing together and uh, dividing up the team, what? how did you guys go about it? Well, I mean, that wasn't on us. That was on the upper management, you know what I'm saying? So I think what they tried to do is they tried to get players that uh, played in the New York area, either played, you know, high school, college, or actually played for one of the professional teams there. And I think that's how they tried to determine which players played on which teams. And obviously me being from New Jersey and playing for the Knicks and stuff like that, it just made sense for me to be on the New York team. And then, you know, Jamal Tinsley and, uh, you know, Chris Smith and different guys like that, you know, we all had a connection to New York. So I think they felt like we all should have some type of a fan base. And, uh, you know, so from what I heard, you know, the reception's been pretty solid. Sounds great. And uh, your team is uh, the Gotham Ballers? Yeah, the Gotham Ballers. Okay. You guys are the Gotham Ballers, and you're going to be playing uh, next week at the Nassau Coliseum. And this is the uh, the new Nassau Coliseum. Uh, have you guys uh, done some work in there before or, like, played any games in the past? No, nah, I've only been in Nassau Coliseum one time uh, when I was I think maybe my first or second year in the NBA was Summer Jam was there one year. That was the year that Jay-Z actually brought out uh, Michael Jackson. Uh, oh, wow. So that's the only time I think I've ever been that far Coliseum. I definitely uh, definitely understand that. And uh, you spent two seasons with the Knicks. And uh, you were also uh, – did you have any type of part in the uh, 70th anniversary that they were uh, celebrating this past season? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, they they brought me in. Uh, I think uh, me and uh, Quentin Richardson was the two guys that they had honored. Um, they had played against the Charlotte Hornets uh, towards the end of the year. When I, well, I think it was like in January, or February, when we actually came down. But uh, yeah, they definitely had me, and uh, it was it was an awesome opportunity. No, I definitely hear that. And uh, from your two seasons in New York, you put up big numbers. Uh, now I have to ask this. I know a lot of people maybe have brought this up to you. The nickname Al Buckets, was that a Gus Johnson thing or was that something that you had uh, beforehand? 
No, uh, that was the name that uh, Gus gave me. Um, you know, when I when I actually played for the Knicks, the game was in Portland. Um, I think I hit like three shots in a row to get us the lead and win the game. And he just said, my name's Al Arrington, and I get buckets. So uh, it kind of stuck with me. And, uh, you know, I've been a bucket-getting dude ever since. <laughs> this is very true. <laughs> okay. And um, just obviously, you know, this is a, a team. It's a lot of former Knicks players are a part of this. Uh, do you guys, like, still, you know, besides the 70th anniversary, continue to keep in contact with the team and uh, do events? Uh, well, no, I don't, I mean, I don't, I, I mean, I don't have that type of communication with the organization. I would like to, you know what I'm saying? Um, and it's probably something I should just reach out to them before or whatever, but, you know, currently right now, you know, the first time, first thing I've ever done was actually, you know, getting out of that halftime and being part of, you know, the next, you know, 75 years franchise thing or whatever. I uh, definitely understand that. And, uh, you actually were uh, a part, you're a part of the, uh, big three. And uh, I was actually at the uh, game in Brooklyn. What was your uh, experience like being a part of Ice Cube's Big Three? It's also the inaugural season of that. It's awesome, man. I mean, you know, it, obviously it's, it's totally different type of basketball um, from Champions League. So, you know, it's, it's a totally different thing. And what I like about it is that it just gives players opportunities, man, to just go out and, you know, still make some money, um, kind of cash in on, you know, some of their fans, their fan power. Uh, presence and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's been a lot of fun for me. You know, best team. You know, we're undefeated. You know, we're going into the playoffs this Sunday. Right. Well, you know, it's been it's been great to be a part of it. Ice Cube has been amazing. He hasn't missed the city. You know, and that mm-hmm. just shows the commitment he has towards the league. And I think that's the reason why it's very successful. I definitely understand that. Uh, it looks like the CBL is going to be very successful as well. Uh, is there uh, any other information that you want to uh, let people know when they come to the first game? Uh, nothing. I mean, I just, you know, biggest thing is just asking people to come out. You know, just give give this league a chance. Um, you know, I think it'd be entertaining. I think you got a lot of guys that know how to play the game of basketball. And obviously it's at a time when, you know, there's not <laughs> any basketball being played, at least any meaningful right. basketball. I think that uh, this would be a, just another great platform you know, for guys to kind of go out and just show what they got and that they still can play, you know, given the opportunity. Definitely understand that. And my last question, uh, Al, moving forward, what is your uh, your eventual goal? Are you looking to get into coaching or uh, do any more work within uh, basketball? Uh, Yeah, eventually, man. I, I mean, um, we'll see. You know, I got young kids that uh, I, I enjoy being around them every day and coaching them and stuff like that. So, um, I don't really know what my future holds from that standpoint, but, you know, the good thing about it is I got options, you know what I'm saying? So right. just see, you know, when the time is right, you know, I, I'm sure I'll be able to, you know, find me a spot to doing something within the game, you know what I'm saying? Because I think I did a good job of keeping good relationships throughout my career and stuff like that. I definitely hear that. And I'm looking forward to the CBL starting next week at the new Nassau Coliseum. Um, Al Buckets, Al Buckets. I'm just calling you Al Buckets. That's the best nickname I feel like out there. Have a good All one, right. and uh, thank you very much. All right, thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Hello, Jonathan. Yeah, hey, Ed. How are you? Hi, doing good. Uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, speak with us for Brooklyn Free Speech. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for talking to me. Uh, definitely. Um, 
like I said, we're really happy to have you and uh, everything you've accomplished as a journalist and an author. And, you know, I was looking you up, and it said that you were actually born in Brooklyn. So uh, I, I don't know if you want to touch on a little bit of that, If uh, just how was your experience growing up in Brooklyn? Well, I don't remember it too well. I was I was there till I was three, and then we moved to uh, up to Spring Valley, uh, that area, Rockland County. So um, my parents were the were the real Brooklynites. I was just uh, just there for a little bit. Well, it still counts. We're going to count it just for the record. <laughs> Thank right. you. You're still a Brooklynite fully. <laughs> I'm proud of it. Definitely, and we're proud of you. And uh, I have to ask because, um, like I said, you are a journalist and you are an author. Who is your uh, biggest career inspiration? Oh, man. You know, growing up, I used to read the sports pages a lot and um, and loved Red Smith. That was really my introduction to, to the newspaper because uh, I wasn't going to read any section except the sports section. And, and he was just such a great writer. And the way he was able to uh, just um, make, you, make you smile, make you feel with his words, uh, that had a big impression on me early on, I think. He was, you know, the columnist for the, for the New York Times back when I was growing up. Okay, so I, I should say that sports are your main uh, objective in regards to like your your um, number one interest um, as a journalist as well. And uh, if you don't mind, just giving uh, everybody like a just a, a little sample of some of the places you worked with um, in the past. Yeah, sure. You know, I was I, I actually was was never a sports writer. I love sports, but I worked as a newspaper reporter for a long time. I was at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, before that, I was at the Dallas Morning News and the New Orleans Times-Picayune. Um, when I was in high school, I worked for the uh, the, the local papers. So I was, a, I was a news reporter mostly, but I loved sports. And then um, I wrote my first book, was a biography of Lou Gehrig, another uh, New York kid. And, mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I realized that uh, sports books are a lot of fun to write. So I... Um, have been, you know, I haven't done all sports books. I also did a book about Al Capone, uh, who's from Brooklyn, and mm-hmm. um, I did a book about the invention of the birth control pill. So, um, but then I did, you know, Lou Gehrig, Jackie Robinson, and and now I'm Muhammad Ali. It's all full circle, and uh, just in regards to obviously your uh, new book that is going to be coming out very soon, actually on uh, October third, uh, Ali: A Life. What was your motivation to write a biography? On the life, on the uh, life of Muhammad Ali. Well, you know, um, I was a huge fan growing up. I had his poster on my ceiling, and you know, I was born in '64, so I'm old enough to have seen, or at least watched on TV, some of those fights with Frazier and Foreman and Ken Norton. And I was, um, I just thought the guy was like a superhero. And when you get older, you begin to realize that superheroes, there's no such thing. You know, he's a real person, and nobody had written a, a full biography of him yet. There've been a lot of books written about him and some really good ones, but nobody had done the full-blown, um, you know, cradle-to-grave biography where you you know interview everybody. You know, I interviewed more than 200 people. I dug up uh, FBI records. I dug up his birth certificate, and I just went, you know, after every every little thing that I possibly could. And um, it was just unbelievable to me that such a great story was was out there, and and nobody had done it yet. Wow, and um, obviously during all your research, did you encounter like any issues uh, while gathering like different interviews and uh, background information on Ali? Oh yeah, it wasn't always easy. A lot of people didn't want to talk. Um, 
they wanted to be paid to talk. Um, but you know, I eventually got everybody I wanted. I got you know all three of Ali's wives to cooperate. I got Don King. I got George Foreman. I got Louis Farrakhan. Everybody I wanted eventually came around and 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 spoke to me. So I was you know I, I worked on this thing for more than four years, and I was really persistent and. And, and ultimately, I think people really wanted to make sure that Ali's story was told right, and they, they, you know, they put their trust in me. I definitely understand that. And uh, were there any surprises that you learned from the interviews and the uh, research? Oh, my God, so many. I mean, you can start, like, just earliest chronologically. You know, Ali's grandfather was a convicted murderer. Nobody knew that. Mm. Um, he killed a guy over a, over a 25-cent craps game. Um, nobody had ever uh, discovered that. And then all kinds of things like, you know, um, related to his fight career. Um, you know, Ali failed his drug test after the after the Larry Holmes fight. Um, most people don't know that. Um, he was starting to show signs of brain damage as early as the uh, early 1970s. He fought for 10 more years. So there was just one thing after another. Um, you know, I think people reading this book are going to find hundreds of things that they that they didn't know about Ali. Do you believe uh, your book will help educate current and future boxers, uh, just not only from what Ali, what Ali went through, uh, just like you said, CTE and uh, the whole process, everything? Do you think this will be a help, a helpful educational tool for them? Yeah, I, I hope that it will it will tell people that you know that, that that boxing is inherently dangerous. But I think we already know that. Um, I also think it'll help remind people that um, when you hear people like Colin Kaepernick being criticized for speaking his mind or even LeBron James being criticized for, for using his position to, to talk about politics that, you know, Ali came first and Ali said that, you know, I don't have to do what you tell me to do. I don't have to be what you want me to be. And we still treat our athletes, especially our black athletes, as if they're just paid entertainers and they're, they're not supposed to have any opinions. We expect them just to perform and keep their mouths shut. And that's, that's, that's not right. And Ali fought for that right to speak up. I definitely hear you on that. And uh, in regards to the uh, the whole CTE caution, um, what do you what do you believe? Uh, just obviously not just from the book, but um, what do you believe people are are learning from CTE? Because you see, it seems like even with the Aaron Hernandez situation, it's becoming even more uh, news lately. Do you feel like people are going to start taking more caution when it comes to that? Yeah, I think um, you know it, 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 it's becoming clear now that if you play football, there's a very good chance you're going to have CTE. Um, you know, Aaron Hernandez was a young man, and they found that he had advanced CTE. So, I mean, he must have had it um, in the first years of his career, and it doesn't go away. If you get it, you know, it's it's gonna it's it's gonna get you. Um, so, I think we're becoming more and more aware of that, and it'll be interesting to see how it affects the game of football. How many people are going to let their kids play? Um, if they know that it's going to do that kind of damage. Oh, definitely. And uh, you said mentioned earlier you had you've done a book with Lou, you did with Lou Gehrig. Uh, you've done Jackie Robinson. What sets this project apart from the past books you've written? Well, first of all, Ali was perhaps the most famous man of the 20th century, and this is you know he I think um, had a much um, larger profile than anyone else. And the other big difference for me was that he was, you know, fairly um, contemporary. He was still alive when I began this book, and his three of his four wives were still alive, um, many of his contemporaries. So I was able to go out and interview, you know, dozens and dozens of people who knew him and could tell me firsthand what it was like to be around him. 
and and that makes for a very different kind of reporting than if you're you know if you're writing about Lou Gehrig and there's hardly anybody left who knew him. So I was able to get really intimate, very personal details about his life. I definitely hear you on that. And uh, you're actually in the uh, process of working on a documentary series. That's right. I'm uh, teaming up. I'm well consulting. I'm uh, you know helping Ken Burns and the team at PBS do a um, a multi-part documentary on Ali's life. Wow, it's incredible. And obviously the book is the uh, first thing coming out October 3rd. Can you let people know the uh, best way to uh, pick up a copy? Yeah, the book is called Ali, so that's easy to remember. And it's got a great big picture of Ali on the cover. No words. You don't even need a title when, when it's Ali. Um, mm -hmm. And it's available at all the bookstores, and it's available online at um, – you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, all you know, every place that you can that you can possibly buy a book, so they should have copies of this. Okay, Jonathan, thank you very much for uh, taking time to uh, talk about your book, and uh, we look forward to reading it. Thank you. It's really nice talking to you. Okay, have a good one. Okay, bye bye. Hi, Ed. How are you? Hey, how's it going? I'm fantastic. How are you? Doing very well, doing very well. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, speak with us about tonight's game. No, not a problem at all. Thanks for having me on. Oh, definitely. And um, I just want to start off and uh, just ask, uh, what are your thoughts on just being in New York City and uh, everything that's been going on in regards to uh, Manchester City? Yeah, well, it's great. You know, we, um, Manchester City came here last year in the International Champions Cup. And everybody knows the season they've been on to have, you know, super successful and uh, the facilities they've got here in the United States and, and obviously New York with the, the relationship with New York City FC, you know, the, the guys have been training up there and getting the best facilities possible. Um, and it's it's just, a, it's fantastic. You know, the players love it, the coaching staff love it, the fans love it. And it's just a great way to prepare for the season. Okay, and I know you guys are on the uh, USA tour uh, here for the preseason. Um, what do you enjoy most about uh, just being in the United States and, um, just the fans that are Premier League fans here. Yeah, look, it never ceases to amaze me. You know, I've been lucky enough to come over um, the US quite a few times in Manchester City, and um, every time we come here, the, the, the passion of the fans, the support that they've got um, for Manchester City in the Premier League just keeps getting bigger and bigger every time. You know, um, maybe five, six years ago it wasn't as big, um, but the, the coverage they're getting now and the support, especially in New York, but for Manchester City, um, it's, it's getting huge. I uh, definitely understand. I know you guys were actually training with uh, NYCFC, and uh, as you can see, like the MLS is uh, still is very important here in the United States. What do you think will help the uh, overall growth of just soccer and its image in the U.S. the same way it is like everywhere else in the world? Yeah, look, first and foremost, it was great for me yesterday to watch the open training session. You know, um, obviously Manchester City training um, at New York City's tra uh, FC's training grounds and, and actually seeing them both integrate together, you know, and talking about the growth of the MLS and, and how big and how better it's getting all the time. You know, we've got our own Jack Harrison, um, who was at New York City, obviously now at Manchester City, had a fantastic game the other night there against Borussia Dortmund. So it shows you that the talent is there um, in the United States, um, all the way through the college system, um, going into the MLS, um, and Manchester City are always looking to find the talent. And, you know, the partnership we've got with New York City, Jack Harrison, it just shows you that, that it's there to see. And it, it gives the kids a chance, you know. They can look at Jack, they can find a way through. Um, and it's it's just going to get bigger and bigger all the time. No, I hear that. And 
like I said, you guys were just doing the tour around New York City and going to Yankee Stadium, uh, visiting the Yankees. And uh, actually, uh, um, Leroy Zane, uh, he actually did a uh, a Twitch uh, video game battle with an NBA player at the NBA store. Do, do you believe this is uh, like is really important to reach out to other sports and other leagues to just um, expose the brand more within America? Absolutely. You know, you've got obviously American footballs, master the basketball, um, the baseball as well. You know, I was lucky enough and last week in Chicago to be able to go to the Chicago Cubs and and throw the first pitch um, last year when we were in Nashville. I, I kicked some field goals with the Tennessee Titans. So it just shows you that there's a huge relationship to be had with all the other clubs as well. You know, and I know said before maybe years ago, um, soccer was had a long way of catching up with these other sports, but it just shows you that the integration with them now that it's getting closer and closer all the time. Um, and it's good fun as well. You know, it's great for the fans of um, the NFL, for the for the baseball and, and the soccer teams to see. I was actually going to mention, Paul, I did see that first pitch. It was a, it was a good pitch. Yeah, I was great really nervous about that. Um, yeah, but what an honour, you know, um, to go to the Cubs and, and throw it. You know, it's um, an iconic stadium. Um Fantastic baseball team with huge history, so to be asked to do it um, was, was a fantastic honour for me. I've got to admit, I was a little bit nervous, you know, me kicking the ball, not throwing it, but I was just glad it got there. <laughs> it was a good job. And uh, I do want to ask, uh, just obviously for tonight's game, what style of play should uh, fans expect from both Manchester City and uh, Liverpool? Yeah, look, it's a, there's a huge rivalry between both clubs now, and, and the one thing the fans are going to see is, is two of the, the best teams, not just in England in the Premier League, but two of the best teams in Europe. You know, Liverpool had a fantastic run in the Champions League last year. Obviously, Manchester City blew everybody away, um, breaking all sorts of records in the Premier League. And as much as people might think it's a friendly, it, it definitely won't be. You know, you've got two two coaches who are two of the best coaches in the world, and you're going to have two sets of players. Um, that, that will want to maybe put a little pointer down for the start of the season, you know. And I know myself from playing in pre-season games against your rivals. Um, as much as there might not be a lot that will um, stand on the game tonight, um, but personally and collectively as a team, you, you want to get one over each other. So it's going to be a fantastic game. Two teams that will press, um, will work hard, but two teams that will play fantastic football as well. So it's going to be a fantastic occasion for the fans. Okay, and I have to ask, obviously, you have a, a legendary career in your own right. Um, is there a moment from your playing career that stands out most from Manchester City? Hey, look, I was I was very lucky. Um, I had a career spanning 21 years. Um, um, a majority of it um, at Manchester City, it's, it's the, the club I love. I love playing for them. I love doing work for them now, you know, and I, I, was, I was very lucky to manage to score a goal at Wembley Stadium in 1999. Um Although I'm a Scotsman, that was always my dream to play at Wembley in England. Um, so to be able to do that for Manchester City, um, what it meant at the time, and to actually score a goal that um, went down in history is, is a huge honour for me. Okay, and uh, just to piggyback off that, is there a player in today's era that reminds you of yourself from your playing days? Uh, I don't think they're as small as what I am now, actually. So... Um, there's definitely nobody in the Manchester City team. Um, the one that sort of gets compared the most is probably Jamie Vardy at Leicester. Um, mm. He works hard and probably scored a few more goals than what I did. But at the same time, he's, he's probably the, the, the comparison that gets made the most for me. Okay. And, um, Paul, my last question is, I have to ask, obviously, Manchester City defending champions. Heading into the new season, is, are there any uh, any hopes or anything that uh, that will be done differently to help defend the crown? 
Hey, look, there's one thing and the biggest thing that impressed me about the, about the team last year, you know, yes, we're talking about them breaking all sorts of records, but it's the age of the squad. You know, a lot of the players, um, if you look through the spine of the team, goalkeeper Edison's 24, you've got John Stones, um, Laporte, Leroy Sani, who we spoke about already, Gabriel Jesus, Raheem Sterling, Bernardo Silva, you know, they're all 24 and under. Um, so this team is only going to get better and you think that one of the best players, not just in the Premier League in Manchester City, one of the best players in the world, Kevin De Bruyne, are still only 26-27. So they're going to grow as a team and they're going to get they're going to get better. It's going to be difficult because um, it's hard to win back-to-back Premier League titles. You know, no team's done that in the last 10 years. But this team, the, the biggest thing that impresses me about them is they always strive to be better. You know, they, they push each other all the time. They've got the best coach in the world that's pushing them all the time. Um, and it's going to be pretty scary for everybody else. Well, tonight should be an electric atmosphere at MetLife Stadium. Once again, it's Manchester City versus Liverpool. Paul, thank you so much for uh, sharing no, some time with us. No. Thank you, Ed. Okay, thank you, man. Take care. Here's you too. Yes, and um, I just just got to ask, because obviously you're involved with the 2K League and you do this Madden League as well. Um, what got you just wanting to be involved in esports in general? Um, it's weird, man. I was, um, I'm a sportscaster by trade, so I work right. at SNY uh, here in New York, Sports Network uh, that owns the Mets, um, and also do radio for CBS Sports Radio. Right. I was a newscaster. I was the TV anchor, the main TV anchor in Orlando. Um, I've worked in Miami. I've worked in Boston, New York. I'm from Nashville. I've worked in Jackson, Mississippi. I've worked in Kentucky. So I've done the traditional work in a bunch of different markets right. Right. as a newscaster. I was in Orlando, and I got an email uh, from a guy. Uh, his name is Matt Belasuknia. He used to work at EA. He emailed me. He's like, hey, do you want to, um, you were looking to add some new voices to the game. want to see if you want to come out and, and do an audition uh, to be um, a sideline reporter in the Madden game. And I was like, cool. So I did it. Uh, I thought it went well. Uh, but then I get an email back that said, uh, yeah, it, it went great. We, we'd like to use you, but we're going to go in a different direction. So they, uh, they ended up finding uh, another um, person to do it, a young lady to do it. Uh, and then I got another call, like, literally right after that saying, we have something bigger in mind. Right. That's why we did this. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So they do like me. They do want to use me. Uh, and I became the, uh, the pregame and halftime voice guy. And I, I did, I've been doing that the last five-plus years. And uh, that's, that's the story behind that. And that's how I got in the... Um, that was my foray into mm-hmm. esports, and you've seen the competitive scene grow, uh, especially with Madden over the last year and a half, two years. Yeah, I mean, like everywhere you go now, there's esports popping up. I mean, they're having like huge events everywhere. Uh, I think even Barclays Center is doing a big one as well. What are your thoughts? They had one like, back in December too. That was yeah, a huge one. Yeah, yeah definitely mm-hmm. a huge one. Um, what are your thoughts on the fact that you obviously you cover like the actual athleticism, cover real sports? Esports, like, is there a big difference you feel like in terms of the way you have to cover each thing and just talk about each player in regards to going into a game? Well, my approach is I like to keep it very simple, man. I treat these guys as like traditional athletes. Yeah. I cover the games and I broadcast like I would a traditional broadcast or covering, you know, real sports. I mean, it's the virtual, you know, um, you know it's the virtual, you know, addition of a real athletic event. But I treat it the exact same. And I think that's been uh, successful for us, uh, the way I broadcast it, the way I treat the guys, the way I prep, um, you know, interviewing the guys. I treat them just like professionals. Uh, that was one of the deals that NBC Sports liked about me uh, when I do Rocket League. Right. Uh, and then we'll, I'll be doing that again here again in July and August um, at NBC Sports. So 
that, I think that's the only way to do it. I mean, these guys are, they've earned the platform and uh, yeah, treat them as such. Okay. Um, and just the years you've been doing this, you've been doing this obviously for a while. Mm -hmm. Has there been like a moment that like sticks out to you in regards to just covering these games or like a certain player that you'll always remember just from doing this? A certain player? There's, I mean, there's not really one player that stands out. I mean, you know what stands out to me are the yeah. names. Okay. You know, I go back to, like, Rocket <laughs> League and, you know, who's a beautiful community, man. Those guys are so, like, yeah. you know, they're professional and they're young. Um, they're optimistic. They're positive. Yeah. And, you know, you got you got names like Squishy Muffins. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's, that's what sticks out to me, you know, yeah. some of those names. Um, but no one that really sticks out as far as, you know, uh, individuals or anything like that. I've seen a lot of great things. I've seen these guys win a lot of money uh, and, and just proud to be a part of it. And uh, I enjoy telling their stories. It's great. And obviously this uh, tournament today with Madden, uh, you're working with Amon Green. Yeah. Now, how did you guys link up in, into starting this? That's my guy, man. Me and AG, man. Um, we did an event, um, a Madden event. Uh, our first actual free event was at Microsoft Store, and it was um, last April. Okay. Uh, so this was the 2017 draft, and I uh, met Amon there, and he was the uh, you know he was going to be my analyst that day, my color analyst. Right. And we worked together, and I was like, oh, this chemistry was pretty good on that. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we stayed in contact, and uh, this year I said, dude, I want to use you mm -hmm. the whole year. You're going to be my guy. You're going to be my color guy. So um, he flies into town mm -hmm. every month. You know, hangs out at the crib. Um, and we, you know, we, we get to hang out, and uh, we're like brothers, man. That's my guy, man. He's not going anywhere. Um, he's going to be my guy. He, he's going he's gonna to ride with me from here on out. Definitely, definitely. And now, what can people follow you on Twitter and just to let them know? The you podcast? can follow me at, at Mr. MR and my name, Larry Ridley, L-A-R-R-Y-R-I-D-L-A-Y, all one word, Mr. Larry Ridley. Uh, I always hang out on the Twitter sphere. Uh, so, yeah, I like the Twitter. Right, thank I do you a little it. Instagram and also oh. Facebook, but it's all the same. But I'm mainly, uh, I chirp more on Twitter. I hear you. All right, thank you very much. Man. No problem, man. Right, thank you, man. No problem. Special thanks to all my guests that I had on the show for the first 99 episodes. And looking forward to so many new people to talk to about the world of sports in the episodes to come. So definitely stay tuned for that. As always, at Ed Easton Jr. on Twitter and Instagram, let me know your thoughts. If you want to be on the show, if you feel like somebody that I may have missed should have been on the show a long time ago, feel free to let me know. And uh, we'll just go and see what happens. You know, this is really what it's all about. I'm excited for what's to happen in the future. And I'm really happy that this show has gone on as long as it has. I'm talking about 100 episodes. I mean... It's it's just crazy to think that from where it started back in uh, early 2016, I'm just thankful for everybody for listening and uh, keeping the show going. So till next time, this is Sports Social with Eddie Sin Jr. here on Brooklyn Free Speech Radio.